one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health. Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Anoush, and on today's episode of the New Statesman podcast, I'm speaking to Labour peer and refugee campaigner Alf Dubs to discuss the UK's response to Ukrainian refugees and what more the government should be doing. Thanks so much for joining us today. Before we get into the politics of it, I really wanted to ask you first about how you feel seeing the scenes of people fleeing Ukraine. You came here yourself as a six-year-old refugee in 1939 via kinder transport, fleeing the Nazis from Prague. So it must awaken some feelings in you. It does, although, although in, in, in fairness, I, when I came on a kinder transport, the Holocaust hadn't really impacted. It was only a few months after the Nazis had occupied Prague. Mm. So there wasn't that impact. But still, I was saying goodbye to my mum and saying goodbye to everything I knew. So to that extent, yes, the, the horror of what's happening in the, in the Ukraine, of course, is probably matched only by what happened in Syria a few years ago. And people have been fleeing a terrible situation. But I have a fellow, obviously I have a bit of a fellow feeling with people who arrive here because mm. I know what it's like. I, I spoke Czech and German. I didn't speak any English when I got here. So there are similarities. It's also the sense of bewilderment. Mm. One finds one is here and one doesn't quite, particularly if one is young, one doesn't quite understand the significance of what's happening. Mm. What did you make of the initial response from the, the government when we knew that so many people would be fleeing Ukraine? For, for weeks, if not longer, there was a lot of talk about that if the Russians do attack and invade Ukraine, that there'd be a flight of people away. Mm. So we knew about it a long time ahead. It seems to me our government did nothing at all to prepare for it. If ever they had warning of something that was happening, they did nothing. Now, I don't know what they did in Poland to get ready. They must have done something. Mm. But we certainly acted as if nothing was going to happen until it did happen. And, and do you think that's typical of the government's response to these kind of crises in recent years? Well, I think uh, my sense of it is that Priti Patel, the Home Secretary, that her policy is to keep people out. Right. I, I can't see any particular rationale for what she's doing except everything she, this horrible bill the nationality and borders mm. bill which we may come on to yes. uh, th that is a nasty bit of legislation actually it's a lot less nasty now because we amended we, we passed 20 amendments which mm. is probably record i think we'll see what happens when it gets back to the commons in the, in the near future mm. but yes i i think there's a hostility to in in incomers there's a hostility to people whether they're from europe or whether they're, whether they're from further afield i'm a bit concerned though that the, although we're once public opinion on side, public opinion seems to be more sympathetic to white refugees than refugees from Syria or the Horn of Africa or from Afghanistan. Mm. We've got to watch that. Yeah. They're all people with an equal fear which led them to escape. And I think we've got to treat them all 
equally worthy of, of our protection. Absolutely. And we'll come on to the Nationality and yeah, Borders Bill know, yeah. um, later in the interview. But you've written um, about the UK's response to Ukrainian refugees and you've called it a national disgrace. Mm. There's a new there's a new part of the scheme being announced today by Michael Gove about people being able to sponsor right. refugees to come here. How do you think it's playing out since the original response? I think a lot of people who are normally, even who are government supporters, who are not opposition supporters, government supporters, are actually pretty appalled by it. Mm. And one hears that, one, one, see, one, one hears the comments made in the Lords, one hears what, what MPs are saying. So I think a lot of people are taken aback at how feeble our response has been. Mm. Uh, and I think public opinion is very much on side that we should do more. And while public opinion is on side, we've got to actually make sure we, we respond to public opinion because in the past, in various efforts I've had about changing legislation, it's been public opinion that has often tipped the balance. Yeah. Uh, and we have to remember that the public opinion is, is absolutely crucial in this. And one has to talk to public opinion. And I think if public opinion, if people understand the terrors that people have fled, the, the refugees have fled, then they're more sympathetic. Yeah. And the, the closer they see it, and of course, when the Syrian crisis happened, uh, and they saw pictures of boats sinking in the Mediterranean, a little Syrian boy, Alan Kurdi, drowned on the Mediterranean, which was awful. And I think that woke up a lot of sympathy in people. And I think it's the same now with, with, with Ukrainians, the sympathy when, they, when one sees the horrors of the bombing, mm. uh, the destroyed buildings, the hospitals being bombed and so on. I think people are very sympathetic when they see this enormous number of people. All I say is, let's take our share of responsibility. We can't take them all, mm -hmm. but of those that don't want to leave the neighbouring countries, and one understands the arguments why they might want to stay there, some yeah. of them, but of the rest, we should take our share. How much better Ireland has done? Little Ireland has yeah. done so much better. They immediately took far more than we did, and they're still got ahead of us. And it's a disgrace. Yeah. It's a disgrace. And then there are all these arguments about security, which they're using. And I'm not sure that women, with, given the men have stayed behind in most cases, I'm, I'm not sure that women with children represent the biggest security threat to Britain. The Irish are quite relaxed about it. The Taoiseach was on television at the weekend, mm. and he seemed quite relaxed about the security implications. And I think so are the other countries. So I don't know why we have to be so uptight about it. And do you think it? Do you think it's incompetence mm. or it is that hostility that you spoke about um, earlier? Well, I think the Home Office has managed to combine incompetence and hostility in about equal measure, which is an <laughs> awesome, which is an awesome combination. Yeah, there's a, there's quite an element of incompetence in, in how we deal with refugees. Look, and then they, then they said, claim, get a visa. Get a visa, so you've got to go to Brussels or Paris. And they said, go to Lille. They said, there's an office in Calais. There was an office in Calais. They said, go to Lille. No, then they said, it's in Arras. What is this? Don't they even mm. know where they've, where, they, where they've got offices open? Mm. Yeah. And, and then, they've, then they've docked the visa requirement face to face. It's now online, I understand, from Tuesday. It is a lot of incompetence, which is, uh, which is linked with the malice. Yes, OK. And so what would you rather see the government do? I would like to see us coordinate better with other European countries. So the, real, the Irish have said they'll take 2%. Mm -hmm. I think we should, we should, in conjunction with other countries, say this is what we're open to taking. We'll take whatever percentage of the total it is. Mm. Then I think we should move faster, particularly on family union, which could be done easily, but it's not just family union. I think we, we, we should make sure that we give some priority to vulnerable people. We have a proper non-bureaucratic way <laughs> in which they can, they can apply and get here instead of making it so difficult for them. The hurdles and the long forms they're asked to fill in and so on. And they need, need biometric stuff. People who flee, fear war for their lives don't always come along with biometric data and stuff like that. So there's been a total insensitivity, which is embarrassing. 
And we saw similar during mm. Afghanistan last summer mm. and mm. think that people are still being made to pass biometric tests there, mm. even though there's no way of accessing those. Well, they can't get biometric data in Afghanistan. Another fiasco. And, and then how do they get out? And, and, and I'm getting desperate emails from people in Afghanistan. Somebody passed my email address on. The people are begging, can we please, you know, we're in danger. Women who are judges, who, our lives are in danger. We're in hiding. Can you not help us? And, and then if they do get out, there's no proper system whereby they, whereby they can get here. So it's, it's just appalling. We've really, I don't know why the Home Secretary survived. In any other government, the Home Secretary would, would have been sacked. She should have been sacked years ago, well, she was sacked years ago, and she yeah. should have stayed sacked. But, but, but it's just not good enough. I mean, one expects a minimum level of competence and humanity, and she doesn't meet those tests. And you've had experience of dealing with the Home Office, yeah. bringing children, mm -hmm. child refugees mm -hmm. over mm -hmm. from Europe, for example. What is it like trying to do business with the Home Office, particularly under Priti Patel? It wasn't always Priti Patel, of course. Mm. It was Theresa May and, and then Amber Rudd and then yeah. Priti Patel, although Priti Patel is, is, is worse in, in the skit scale of things. It's battling one's head. It's interesting though, when I had my First Amendment, when going through the system or trying to go through the system, mm. I had government ministers who came up to me and said, keep going with your amendment. And I said, but you're not supposed to say that to your government ministers. They said, no, keep going. So there was sympathy, in, some sympathy in government, which was masked by, by the official policy. Right. So it, it okay. was a bit complicated. And I know that one or two government ministers actually tried to help behind the scenes when they couldn't be helpful. So I'm not trying to make them out to be good people. Their policies have been awful, but it, there, is, there has been within government a little bit of sympathy, but not in the influential positions, I'm afraid. Right. Uh, okay. So what is it beating one's head against the brick wall? And then, of course, when I got the amendment through, this, my second big amendment, which was one about family reunion, this was the Dublin Treaty, the EU yes. Treaty. The point about that was that when we left the EU, that would die. So I got an amendment in the 2017 legislation saying the government should continue to negotiate so that family union, the family union Dublin provisions would continue. And that passed in 2017, and then they took it out in 2019. Yeah. And they showed me everything was everything be okay, but no problem, they would get children over here anyway. And, and they summoned me to a meeting, if you want the light touch to this, right. summoned me to a meeting here, Palace, mm -hmm. and there were three government ministers, seven officials, including one from the cabinet office, and it was me. Just fair odds. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and, and, and they were trying to browbeat me. And, and, and I said to the immigration minister, who's now the Northern Ireland Secretary, I said to him, this is not good enough. And he said, don't you trust me? So I looked him in the eye and I said, personally, I do, but I don't trust the government. Right. And anyway, I said, you might not be in your job in a few weeks' time. And he wasn't. He was transferred to not promoted to Northern Ireland. This was all an attempt to beat me down. And when we got the figures out, we found that for last year, the first year, the no Dublin Treaty anymore, about three, three, you know, three family reunion cases happened. Three, four, I think, something, absolutely nothing. No, nothing from France, and one, I think two from Greece and one, one other one. So absolutely hopeless. So whatever they said, they're not doing it. And we challenge them on it and they're just not doing it. And then they say, but then they quote figures and the figures are very partial, it's selective statistics. And, and then they talk about the ones, people that have come across the channel in dinghies. Yes. Now, that's appalling, dangerous, awful thing to happen. But we've said there have to be safe and legal routes. But ironically, the numbers are lower than they were of the people got on the back of lorries. But of course, from the point of view of filming, they are more visible in a dinghy mm. than they are in the, on the back of a lorry where they're dumped down some, somewhere away from Dover. And then the majority of those get refugee status anyway.
Yeah. So it's it's all it's all total farce. If it weren't so tragic, it's a farce. And I'm, I'm sure you remember the um, time when John Reed said that the department wasn't fit for purpose. I, I do. In fact, I was chatting to him only the other day about right. things. And if ever that ever that phrase applied, it applies more now than when he used it at the time. Right. <laughs> you know, wow. Okay. Yeah. I, I yeah. mean, and yet there's some, I'm sure there's some very principled, good people in the Home Office, but the, the net effect is that that they're handling it. They're handling these things very badly, and, and someday the truth will come out. But something is something pretty messed up is happening. Hello, it's Alva here. This is just a reminder that as a podcast listener, you have the option of subscribing to the New Statesman with a very special offer. At the moment, you can subscribe from one pound a week. That's twelve weeks for twelve pounds if you go to www.newstatesman.com forward slash podcast offer. From the New Statesman World Review comes France Elects, a special podcast series exploring the main candidates and the big issues shaping the campaign to be France's next president. I'm Ido Vok, and over the next two months, I'll be joined by special guests to dissect incumbent Emmanuel Macron's record, his rivals to the right and left, and key issues such as foreign policy and the climate. Just search World Review on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. You mentioned you've been voting on recent amendments to the Nationality and Borders Bill, which would criminalise refugees. Because it's a lot better now, because yeah. because we passed twenty amendments, mm. which I think is a record. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and now, of course, they'll try and reverse those. In, yes. In, in, uh, and maybe some of the inherent contradictions will, will, will enable the, the Commons, with some Conservative support, to let those things let those things stay in. For example, when they say, and they've been said consistently now for a long time that refugees should claim asylum in the first safe country they reach. Well, that means nobody from Afghanistan could ever claim asylum here. Yeah. And nobody from Ukraine could ever claim asylum here because there's no way of getting here except, except over land. So it's a ridiculous thing. Mm. So we, on the one hand, they give us some legislation which says um, you've got to claim asylum in the first safe country, while at the same time they acknowledge that that's not possible with, mm-hmm. the, with the Ukrainians. So I, I think they should have dropped the asylum, that, that bill altogether or, or leave our amendments in. If they leave the 20 amendments in, maybe it isn't quite such a bad bit of legislation. OK, because that's what I was going to ask you. Do you get a sense that the arithmetic in the Commons is changing slightly because of the real-life example of how this legislation... Well, well when, when my first amendment some years ago, 2016, 2017, the Commons were much more favourable. They didn't mm. take many people to, to, to rebel, so right. that's why the government eventually accepted 
my first amendment yes and and then they should accept the second one as well i don't know it's hard to get a measure of it sometimes i i when i watch the commons it's the people in the red wall seats who are the most hostile to it. So oh, I see. The one, okay. the one in the red wall seats who mm -hmm. seem most hostile. On the other hand, there's quite there's been quite some turmoil, and even some quite even some Tory MPs who are not normally supported refugees are now speaking out. Mm. So it, it, I can't predict. I feel I just okay. can't predict. It's 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 anybody's guess. I'm not close enough. I can't. I, I'm not there to gossip. So. No, of course. And I, I just wonder how it makes you feel that you're having to battle this kind of legislation and also seeing how the refugee response has played out to the war in Ukraine. Does it make you feel sad because you're someone who's benefited from sort of British hospitality yeah, and a well, well, time when we were welcoming? Yeah, I think, yeah, we welcomed 10,000 kinder transport refugees in, in between 1938 and 1939. Mm. So although there was hostility mm -hmm. uh, in, and Europe, Britain was the only country that took those children, mm. I think. Um, mm -hmm. Even the Americans said it was additional to quota. So it, it was... Uh, yeah, on the hand, there was some resistance. If one, I read the Hansard from 1938, some people didn't like it, but the majority said it was okay, so it did happen. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I feel it's shabby. We didn't have such a bad reputation, even mm. in the post-war period. The reputation wasn't so bad. It's just that the policies since then have got worse. I think the, ref the Brexit referendum also poisoned the atmosphere a bit because when Boris Johnson said, that if we don't leave the EU, there are 70 to 80 million Turks poised to enter Britain. Mm. That was a downright lie. Mm -hmm. It wasn't the first of many, it was one of many, but mm. it was a downright lie. And, and Farage with his posters and so on. I think, that was a, I think it poisoned the atmosphere because, look, I, I think I knocked on as many doors during the referendum campaign as anybody you, you meet. But it was all in North Hammersmith on the White City Estate and so on, where the majority were for Remain. Mm. But even then it was fairly clear that those people for whom take back control resonated, it, what it meant was keep them out. It mm. fairly clearly meant keep them out. Mm -hmm. mm. uh, and so that poisoned the atmosphere. Uh, and, and I think it's been that being reversed a bit with the Ukrainian situation, but the atmosphere was poisoned by the Brexit referendum. Because public opinion it can be a fickle thing as well. I know you mentioned earlier on the sort of surge of sympathy towards refugees that perhaps put, look more like the sort of majority in the UK, for example. I wonder what you make of that. Uh, I, I, I think... I agree. Public opinion is a fickle thing, and little incidents, little incidents can can can, can move it one way or the other. Like the Alan Kurdi, the same yes. boy around the Mediterranean beach, which really did provoke enormous sense of we must do something for these people. Yeah, I think public opinion is fickle, and therefore we've got to keep engaging with public opinion. Hopefully, so public opinion stays a bit on side. The difficulty is that public when the political leaders of a country against refugees, it's very hard to persuade public opinion to keep sympathetic. I think there needs to be some lead lead shown. And, and when there's no lead shown, it's quite difficult for public opinion then to quite know which, which way to go. Yeah. And of course, there's the other, there's the other factor, the, uh, if I can digress to Calais. Can I? The first time I went to the jungle in Calais, only half had been cleared. This yeah. is in 2016. And, and there was a terrible conditions there, shopping street down the middle. And in that shopping street, refugees are built, of course, or put up, uh, there, there, there were tear gas canisters and rubber bullets, to which I said, what are they for? And they said, the then French government was worried about the National Front. National Front was quite strong in the Calais area, mm. so they wanted to show how tough they were. And I, I said, you don't defeat fascism by behaving like the fascists. Uh, that was pretty depressing. And they're still treating them badly, the ones who are now sleeping under tarpaulins under the trees near mm. Calais. They still complain how the, p the French police are hassling them. Now, it's, you can argue about police forces here and police forces there, but mm. I'm just quoting yeah. basically what, what they said to me. But anyway, uh, but the point is that the refugees here in Europe, you said public opinion was fickle. Yes, 
because the, the extreme right-wing parties have exploited refugee opinion. It's happened in National Front in France. It's happened in Germany where Angela Merkel was undermined. Yeah. Maybe the present German government is going to recover from that. Italy, Hungary was always hostile, and mm. their policy was we're not interested in refugees, but they're not our concern, we're only interested in white Christians. So, now so that explains yes. change in policy and in Poland. So uh, I think there's always a danger that extreme right-wing parties do exploit the situation, which is an added reason why we've got to keep public opinion on the side. When we argue with, with Priti Patel around, one doesn't need uh, fascist parties. <laughs> She's doing it. But anyway, whether that's true or not, I just think it's... I, know, I was a local councillor in, in Paddington on the Tory-controlled Westminster City Council, and we put, when the, when the Uganda nations came, we put, we put a number of Uganda Asian families at the top of our housing list, mm -hmm. which caused a lot of argument as to we were undermining yeah. people been waiting. However, we did it. Both parties were split on the issue. We did it. And to think we stuck our necks out like that so that Priti Patel's four parents or, or grandparents could, could get here. Talk about pulling the door, up the drawbridge when you're here. That's a digression. No, but it's really interesting. Thank you. And, and I wonder how you feel Labour's response has been, because they've stopped short of campaigning for visa-free access for Ukrainians. I wonder if you think that they should, they should be calling for that. Well, I have a lot of time for Yvette Cooper. I think she's very good. She's been very good consistently. And some of the things I've done have been in con consultation with her and, 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 in fact, with her advice. So I have a lot of time for, a lot of time for Keir Starmer. I think we could be a little bit more robust. I think we're being a little bit too cautious at the moment. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think we need to be because if, if uh, public opinion is ahead of us, then clearly we ought to do some catching up. So I, I would like to see I would like to see a more robust strategy. But having said that, if anybody's going to do it properly, it's been Yvette Cooper or, 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 or her predecessor, Shadow Home Secretary. I, th I think they're both people who are good on this. And I, I, I expect Labour to become more robust. I hope Labour will become more robust, that's all I can say. I'm, she's going to speak to the PLP tonight, so yeah. I shall listen to her. OK, yeah. And, and where do you think that caution has come from, that slightly more cautious approach, do you think? I, I suppose the fear that, that, that it can be made a very toxic issue against the Labour Party, the refugee right. issue, and, and the fear that just, just when things are going a bit better, we don't have to throw it all away. But the answer is I don't really know. It seems to be fairly clear. And I, I, one of the, sorry, some of them, one of the members in particular on child refugees, which is my moment on, on the National Borders Bill, was actually, actually one that Yvette Cooper, I understand, was quite yeah. keen on. I'm not sure that, that they're going to be that cautious. I, th I think you'll see they'll become more robust. But it's very difficult being in opposition. I'm making excuses, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> no, it is difficult, of course, yeah. And just one last question. I wonder if you think the government was caught on the back foot by public opinion. Do you think there's an assumption yeah. among particularly yeah. the Brexiteers in Cabinet that the public wouldn't have wanted? We see the opinion polling now that people want more Ukrainians to be welcomed over with fewer restrictions, but do you think the government assumed they might not? Yes, I think they did. I think, I think they're quite surprised that public opinion has moved from there, mm. moved right over. I think they didn't expect it. I think they were caught by surprise by the whole issue. They just thought that there'd be a terrible, there might be a terrible conflict in the Ukraine. I think they expected the Russians to attack, probably. Yeah. But they didn't think the consequence would, would be what it was. They should have thought of it. Mm. It was fairly obvious if people are going to be bombed by the Russians and attacked by the Russians, that they're going to flee for safety. It's natural. Mm. Uh, and and, and they sh it should have been expected. And therefore, they should also have expected our government that public opinion would, would respond these terrible pictures, these bombed towns and mm -hmm. hospitals bombed and so on. Mm. They would expect public opinion to, to respond. So they, they were caught totally napping on this one. Thank you very much, Alf. Thanks for your time. Thank you for your interest and uh, delighted to have had a chance to discuss these issues. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anusha Kellyan. 
We're produced by Adrian Bradley and our music is Devil with the Devil licensed under Creative Commons. Thanks so much for listening and don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review.